I would say first and foremost that this is my Torah. In other words, when I walk in this door to the studio, I feel that this is my Avodah Hashem and this is connected part and parcel with my Limit Torah on a number of different levels. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Orthodox Judaism often has a fraught relationship with the arts, characterized by both tension and fascination. Some Torah sources describe the incredible potential of music or visual art to inspire, while others denigrate it, relegating the arts to the realm of Bittel Torah or even worse. How then should a religious artist relate to creative endeavors? How can an artist remain true to both religious obligations and his or her artistic calling? To answer some of these questions, I was honored to co-host a panel discussion with Francisca Goldschmidt-Kosman of The Francisca Show, which, like the Orthodox Conundrum, is associated with JewishCoffeeHouse.com. We were able to address numerous issues, including questions surrounding Bitul Torah, Kolisha, education and the arts, challenges and opportunities that arise from being an artist living within a halacha community, and much more. Welcome to Bittel Torah and Creativity, the challenges and opportunities of being a religious artist, brought to you jointly by The Francisca Show and The Orthodox Conundrum, both of which are part of JewishCoffeeHouse.com. My name is Scott Kahn, and I am pleased to be here with my co-host, the voice of Jewish arts and entertainment, and a marvelous and well-known performer in her own right, Francisca Goldschmidt-Kosman. Hello, Francisca. Hi, Scott. Hi, panelists. Hi, everyone who's watching. Thank you so much for being here. Before introducing our illustrious panel, I want to open with a quotation from Avkuk Datzal, which appeared in the London Jewish Chronicle of September 13, 1935, and to which I was alerted by my Rebbe, Rabbi Moshe Simkovich Lita. The quote is as follows. When I lived in London, I used to visit the National Gallery, and my favorite pictures were those of Rembrandt. I really think that Rembrandt was a tzaddik. Do you know that when I first saw Rembrandt's works, they reminded me of the legend about the creation of light? We are told that when God created light, it was so strong and pellucid that one could see from one end of the world to the other. But God was afraid that the wicked might abuse it. What did he do? He reserved that light for the righteous when the Messiah should come. But now and then, there are great men who are blessed and privileged to see it. I think that Rembrandt was one of them, and the light in his pictures is the very light that was originally created by God Almighty. And that's the quote from Rav Cook from 1935. And I think this quotation really encapsulates the possibilities inherent in artistic endeavors for religious Jews. If we can have the vision of a Rav Cook, which admittedly is a rare thing, but if we could have the vision of someone like Rav Cook, the arts and creativity can be seen as a genuine source of spirituality, a repository that contains tremendous opportunities that cannot be squandered. On the other hand, it seems like the arts very often are denigrated in religious circles. The Pasuk from the Aserat Dibro, the Ten Commandments, Lo do not make for yourself an idol or a picture, any picture, 
seems to be a dominant motif in certain circles in many of our communities, perhaps implicitly, if not explicitly. And some of these problems certainly apply to music as well. This question, this dynamic, this, this tension between arts being something which we should look forward to and encourage versus arts, which is something which should be put on the back burner if it should be there at all. So today's panel discussion will be an attempt in the short time that we have to go through some of these issues and balance these tendencies. So let me introduce our very illustrious panel right now. First, we have A.B. Rottenberg. He's a prolific Orthodox Jewish musician, composer, and entertainer from Toronto. He has been producing music since the mid-1970s with a style which has been described as soft and sweet with a strong folk influence. And it's a pleasure and an honor to have you here with us today, A.B. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. And it's a fascinating subject. Well, thank you for joining us. Simcha Leiner is here as well. He's been one of the biggest stars in Jewish music for over a decade. After releasing his breakout single, Kol Birama, he went on to reach international critical acclaim as well as popular acclaim with millions of views on his many YouTube videos. And he is a well-known musician. And again, it's an honor to have you here as well, Simcha. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Moshe Braun blends the creative and passionate qualities of an artist together with the patience and skill of a master sofer. The result is Judaic art and safrut for clients and fans all over the world. And frankly, I should know, I'm the proud owner of several pieces by Moshe in my house. And aside from his art hanging in my living room, he's also a very good friend and a neighbor of mine and a wonderful, wonderful human being. So for many reasons, Moshe, I'm really privileged to have you with us today as well. An honor and a pleasure, really. Thank you. Chaim Eisenstadt has discovered and developed artist Alexander Eisenstadt, raising him to global prominence. He has organized exhibitions in leading museums and galleries, such as the Moscow Museum of Modern Art, Christie's, the Pushkin State Museum of Fine Arts, and others. And he has closed art sales and put artworks in highly respected collections. Thank you, Chaim, for joining us today. Thank you so much. Francisco, why don't you start us off with uh, asking our panel some questions? Okay, wonderful. I would just like to preempt this conversation with sharing that the inspiration for this panel came after I watched this all. I started thinking about issues through the From Yeshiva male lens, which I have not been focusing on for many years. And uh, the idea of the main characters, they're only coming to life and finding inspiration, passion in life after being connected to their artistic calling and it both art and music and other forms of art, but that mainly inspired this conversation. And we'll start with the first question here, and I'll, we'll start with A.B. What can you tell us about the challenges you faced as an individual in the Torah yeshiva world, as someone who had a desire to pursue a career in the arts? Well, in my own experience, I was very fortunate. I went to a yeshiva that where where some other fellows who were a few years older than me had already forged the uh, a path with music. I went to the same yeshiva as Rabbi Baruch Chait, who is, uh, is, is a wonderful composer, well-known uh, composer. He founded the Rabbi Sons called Salonika, and he continues to compose and inspire Jews all over the world. Uh, Geshe Tsar Ma'od is one of his famous compositions, Miha Ish. I mean, these are some of the most well-known uh, compositions uh, in Jewish music around the world. So he was in the yeshiva, and he had already um, produced several albums. My first chavrusa in yeshiva was Label Sharfman, who was a member of the Rabbi Sons. 
And we went on together to do the Dvekas albums back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, we're still very good friends, very close. He lives in Yerushalayim. He runs a, a seminary for girls and has been doing so for over 30 years. So in my yeshiva, you know, they used to joke around that the, you needed to, the entrance exam was you needed to know how to play guitar and not to learn a piece of Gemara. But um, it's not true. Our, our Rosh Hashiva really did not emphasize music. He did not speak about people pursuing their artistic careers. It was a yeshiva as most, I would say, uh, classical or prominent yeshivas, they emphasize learning. Because in every environment, uh, I think they consider their job and their responsibility and their mission is to get everybody to reach for the sky, to, to become as elite in Torah as possible. So they're not going to be pushing their students to be pursuing arts or pursuing uh, their, uh, their own passions for uh, external or outside interests. At the same time, I was fortunate to be in yeshiva where it was not looked down upon. It was not denigrated. It was not discouraged if a, if a, if a, if a student had that proclivity. Uh, there are other institutions where perhaps, you know, the Rosh Yeshiva said, listen, this is not what we want you to be in our yeshiva for. But uh, I think in general, I think even the greatest Rosh Yeshiva in the world will say that a person who has artistic talent, a person who has music in his soul, a person who has art, art in his fingers and in his mind is going to need to pursue that to some extent. David HaMelech was no imzmiros Yisrael. Even though he said, I sat in the, in the Beit, Beit HaMedrash all day long to learn Torah, we know that at night his, his harp would come to life at midnight and when the wind blew and it played music and he wrote the most beautiful words of, 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 of praise and smirot for, for, for our nation. So here is a man who was steeped in Torah, yet his artistic soul came to life and we are the beneficiaries of that. So there's certainly no disagreement, I think, anywhere in the world that someone who has that ability to inspire Kaliusville with, with music, with song, with, 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 with something that is... Take, take the, uh, the Paitanim, Ibn Gavirol, uh, Ibn Ezra, Rebbe Yezer HaKalir, who wrote the, the Slichot and who wrote, who wrote the, the keynote on Tishabu. These were These were artists, and they were at the same time great Torah scholars. So I don't necessarily see it as a contradiction, but it is true that in some circles it's discouraged, and I think that's unfortunate. Thank you. Simcha, would you like to share your experiences and perspective? Sure. Oh, what I would have paid to join that Harusa Shah. <laughs> we only talk music, Bein Astorim, you know, we, we, we only talk music after after the class, you know. That's what they boring. all say. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, interestingly enough, so for me, I was lucky enough to have people like Rebebe Rottenberg and Rebarch Chait to look up to growing up, and I still have them to look up to, as I'm still hopefully at the, you know, the foundational stages of my uh, musical journey. But it was important to bring out, you know, that the different yeshivas that I went to growing up all had a different uh, way of looking at to what extent music can enhance or detract your uh, focus and um, your ability to uh, uh, pursue Tyra without uh, distraction. 
it's funny that when I was in the younger grades, it was not seen as a benefit or as a myla um, as much as when I was post high school. Um, and I think, you know, today the like our baby started out um, with journeys or, or, or recording your first projects. At, at what point in, in your yeshiva education was that? was that? I was done. I was already in the in the workforce. I was out of the yeshiva. So in, I started in, writing in English. Yeah. In the generation right after that, so just uh, 15, you know, 18 years ago, so technology to um, record music, the, the price, the cost, the, the barrier of entry dropped so drastically that Rebbeim Rosh Hashivas didn't really have much say over the matter um, that if a boy or a bacher or a girl or a student was driven to produce music, to release music, there was really nothing stopping them from doing it. So for, you know, when I started, you know, developing and discovering music, the world was my was my oyster. I was able to actually produce music in my dormitory, and that is where I got most of my music uh, out. So I think the rebellion in my life that acknowledged the fact that music can be a distraction, yes, but on the other hand, be an amazing tool, um, embraced it, and uh, those were the rebellion that I still keep up with today. But if I just may add, add one more point, I think I think that today as well, uh, as opposed to many many years ago, the yeshiva experience today is so different. The yeshivas, the types of yeshivas that exist in the in, in the world in the Jewish world um, that emphasize Torah learning are are diverse because you can go to Panovich, which is let's say considered the or or, or Lakewood, you considered the top yeshivas in the world, and of course. In those environments, the emphasis is going to be Torah, 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 Torah. But today, there are so many yeshivas that are smaller and that have a unique clientele where the kids, they know the kids coming in need a different type of education or need a different type of emphasis. So today, the boys are choosing a yeshiva and they know in advance that they're going there. That's a yeshiva that has so many hours a day and they, they allow for some vocational uh, activities or they allow for creative activities. So kids today who really have a need for that can find their yeshiva, the right rush yeshiva, without having that conflict that many, uh, maybe in, in generation, in the previous generation have to face. That's true. However, parents might be making the decision for their children sometimes with their expectations on their children for staying with full-time learning, yeah. Okay, let's move to Moshe Braun. Do you like to share your experiences? Yeah, I want to just say that um, Scott mentioned, so um, myself and my family, we live in Ramat B'Chemish. This summer will be 20 years we've been living here. Before that, we lived for almost five years in Yerushalayim. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I want to say, make a comment sort of from the opposite end of the spectrum. In addition to being an artist, spending a lot of my time here in the studio on uh, a sofa, so I'm also a gabai in our shul here, uh, in a shul which is a, uh, it's a shul which is very eclectic type of shul here in Rampet um, definitely has a Hasidic influence, no question about it. It's actually called Ish Kodesh. Part of my whole history is my journey, so to speak, is I was very interested also actually when I was learning yeshiva and going to, into Rabbanos. All of my, every single one of my Rabbeim and Mashpiim, each one on their own, 
they said to me, no. They said, pursue your art. Use your art. Use it to connect with people. Use it to inspire. Use it to help people. And I'm bringing up the fact of being a gabai is because I see my eyes are very open. And I see many, many, many different things in our community. And I see, unfortunately, a lot of the fallout of people, not just young people, but adults who were not given the, so to speak, the license. They were not given the endorsement to pursue their talents. Instead, were really sort of pushed into a certain direction, career, etc. And you can see, I can see in a person sometimes when they have not had that opportunity, when they have not pursued their talents. So I'm saying that because I see things from sort of, I guess, just sort of a, uh, a certain perspective. And I feel very fortunate that all my, every single one of my Rebbeim and Mashpiyam, and by the way, if they didn't, if, if I ever detected that a Rebbe was not, was going to, was trying to push me to sort of squash that, my artistic talent, my interest in art, I, I, could, I could feel that this person was not for me. It, was, it wasn't the right match. So I just, I just want to say that really, I, I personally feel that it's our, it's our divine mandate from Akash Baruch Hu, to use our talents for good. We have to. We've been given them for a reason. We have to use. It wasn't our choice what talents we were given, but it is our choice how to use them. And of course, to use them for good and to use them to serve Akash Baruch Hu and to use them to reveal godliness in this world. So I feel, first and foremost, that like that's, that's, a, that's a starting point that a person has to use their talents and skills. And if one of their talents is to sit and to learn, whether it's in Ponovich, in, in Shabin, in, in uh, Torres Emes, wherever, then that's their mandate. And if they've been given a gift to help people in another way, that's what they should be doing. No question about it. Obviously, learning and so forth, you know, in terms of uh, learning, in terms of, let's say, regular Siddharam and so forth and so on. But that's what I would say, like, right off the bat. Thank you so much. It's important to hear how it is a Jewish idea. It's a Jewish concept. Scott, I'll uh, hand over the mic to you for our next question. Okay, thank you, Francisca. Moshe, I actually want to start with you for the next question. I want to take what you said about how being an artist, you see it as a divine mandate. And I think that's very well said. I think that... It also dovetails with something which Abi mentioned. Perhaps it was tongue-in-cheek, perhaps it wasn't, when he said that he only talked about music when he wasn't learning Torah. And really the question is, how would an artist balance the concept of this being a divine mandate, something which God wants you to do, with, on the other hand, the importance of limud ha-Torah, the importance of not getting into bittel Torah, of not wasting time for Torah. I'm not suggesting that art is bittel Torah. That's certainly not what I would suggest, Moshe, you know me very well. I do know, however, there are some people who would say that. So I want to ask you this loaded question, then we can ask some of the others as well. How do you balance that concept of bittel Torah with the divine mandate of pursuing a career in art? Well, I would say first and foremost that 
this is my Torah. In other words, when I walk in this door to the studio, I feel that this is my Avodah Hashem, and this is connected part and parcel with my limited Torah on a number of different levels. First and foremost, um, I generally choose to, to create pieces that I feel have importance to us as a nation, okay? That I feel are of importance to Am Yisrael, uh, a concept that I feel needs to be brought out and needs to be shared and discussed. And I feel very much so from all the, my, the people that come to the studio, people that see my work, with people that purchase my work, but all the experience that I have, that people, people relate to that. So that's number one. And then in terms of trying to pursue that, in terms of trying to, to create those pieces, so there's a huge amount of research and learning that goes into it. Some more, some less, different levels, um, speaking with different people that are mashpiyam, people who are rabbiyam of mine, consulting them and learning. And so I, I look at it right, right off the bat that this is learning Torah. It's part of my learning Torah. It's part of my avodah Hashem. On another level, there is, of course, a need to balance that. You know, obviously, I need to try to keep up with, with some regular basic, we'll call, we'll, for, for lack of a better term, let's say some basic learning, okay, to keep up with, I feel, of just Iyana Diyoma, Parshas HaShavua, Halacha, right, Gemara, uh, if for my case, my interest, Chassidus. But I don't feel that there's an issue here of Bittal Torah. That's how I've chosen to pursue things. That's how I've chosen to structure, you know, my life. Um, but again, when, when the moment that I walked to the studio, there are multiple, multiple, multiple things that, that I just feel that are, are, you know, asking for my attention and require, require limud, you know, for sure. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Chaim Eisenstadt, how would you balance this idea of Bittel Torah versus supporting and promoting the arts? I just want to say first, sorry for my English, because uh, my English is a little bit, a uh, little bit bad. But anyway, I will try to make it uh, the best how much I can. Uh, I don't think anything what person do if he do if he do something important for the family for for the for the parnose, it's no bitul toyre. It's nothing about bitul toyre. I think the parnose for the family it's a big mitzvah to make parnose. People think the 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 learning toyre just learning toyre the one mitzvah in the world. It's yes, it's important if you have this option if you can if you I don't know if you win the lotto or if you if you born in Rothschild family. But the the point is I think if you in the family when they need the money and you have big family, you must and you have to working and to make money. It's uh, you don't have other chance. Because uh, Parnasa is also the big mitzvah, what I think. Like every second when I make money, it's, it's a big mitzvah for me. Is what I'm feeling. I understand that. A.B. or Simcha, either of you want to add yeah, something? I'd like to, ju- I'd like to jump in here. Please. Um, these, these questions that we're discussing are really, really age old. And, and, and there, there's so many opinions and so many variations. And of course, you know, Shlomo Melech said, Chanoch Lenar Al Pidarko, educate a child based on his way. What does that mean, his way, his talents, his abilities? A yeshiva, a Rosh Yeshiva who emphasizes uh, full time learning and learning uh, constantly, 
is asking his student body to shoot for the stars, to reach for the epitome, for the apex, for the, for the zenith of Avodas Hashem. And is it realistic that every student in yeshiva is going to reach that? No, it's certainly not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But would we even have today a Reb Chaim Kanievsky, would he even exist in this universe if his Rosh Hashiva, well, his father was, was a great man, and maybe he would, but many of the greatest Talmidei Chachamim today, many of the greatest people who, who are the, the eyes and ears for Kal Yisrael, the Gedola Yisrael, they went to their Yeshiva, and they were inspired by their Rosh Hashiva to reach for the stars in learning. Some of them may have had artistic talent, but they chose a life of Torah. Uh, we know from the Gemara, Reb, Reb Shimon Bar Yochai said, uh, you have to learn, you shouldn't even pursue a Parnassah. We don't agree with him. We, we paskin like Reb Yishmael, that a person's Parnassah is, is uh, you know, you go out and you do a Parnassah, like, uh, like Rabbi Eisenstadt said. And doing Parnassah is not Bittal Torah, because you need to do it. But certainly that, without having in the yeshiva system, this education and this driving for the ultimate, nobody would reach it because because we always fall short. You ask if if if, if, if music itself is bittul Torah. When I sit and sit at the piano, is it bittul? It's a better bittul Torah than sitting around and doing something else. You know, than than wasting my time completely and you know watching a movie or doing something something stupid. It's certainly can have a, a much, much higher calling and cause. And I'm not the kind of person who can sit and learn 24 hours a day. But that doesn't mean that nobody should strive for that. I just add one more thing. I, I know when Elio Anabi went up to Shammai, his student, Elisha, said the words, when he saw his, his, his master leaving Earth, and he, he thought he was leaving Earth forever. He thought he was, he was gone. This was his his way of passing from this world to the next. He said, Avi, Avi, Rechav Yisrael Ufrasha. He said, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its riders. And the Targum explains, how is Eliyahu Nabi the chariot of Israel, which means almost like a, a military thing. You know, he was the chariot and the rider. And, and, and the Targum Yonason says, with his prayers and with his supplications to Hashem. He protected Israel. He protected Chal Yisrael by being such a great person. There was one man like that on earth, and it was Eliyahu Navi, and he devoted his life to Torah. We cannot discount the fact that some people reach a, a pinnacle of, 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 of Torah and Yerushalayim and Avodas Hashem. And yes, uh, we don't want our Rosh Yeshiva to pull everybody into that and, and force everybody into that funnel because it's not going to work. They have to learn who their Talmidim are, see what their strengths are, but they also have to give everybody the, the ultimate goal and the highest possible aspirations. Thank you. I'll jump in and introduce the next question. We'll start with Samcha and you could add in because they are a little bit interconnected. I would like to separate two topics that are going on here, pursuing the art as a calling and for the art sake of it, and then monetizing that art, turning it into Parnassah and business that everyone agrees in one way or another that that's justifiable but still Torah versus pursuing the art and that energy that goes with it and the time that has to go into it for the sake of developing yourself and that higher calling of pursuing the arts. So the next question is, 
in the yeshiva world where there's an assumption of learning Torah or if you're not learning Torah, go into a lucrative career and being a musician or an artist can sort of fall into the middle. Uh, what was that like for you in an environment that doesn't necessarily enrich or support the pursuing something that's not, you know, a lawyer or doctor or other lucrative non clay kodesh jobs and careers? Okay, so I think we're, we're looking at this a little bit from a very micro level, like forcing us to identify is music a cause of bittel terror or a distraction where we can look at it more of a macro level as is music a cause of bittel avoda like our, our, our full-time job as a jew is to live our lives pursuing a, a derech a path that is uh creating each and every one of our our, our lives a, a holier life a life of Hashem. and i think when you when you look at it more from that perspective Bittel Torah falls into that, you know, as an overall. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I grew up from a much more Hasidish background um, than some, you know, other people that would look at this differently. And I grew up with the mantra that, like, the Hassam Sofer would say that after Torah study, um, music is the most powerful medium to bring someone to excel in their Avodah Hashem. Can you imagine if we combine the two, right? You're basically harnessing step one and step two. We are grandchildren of the Shalah Kadosh, who used to say that he would dedicate half his day. He, if he had the koach of music, um, he would dedicate half his day because the other half of the day he would form the Torah and mitzvahs twice as, as, as strong. So I think when you look at it more of a, from a life perspective, music is definitely not a, a bittel. Taking a step closer to what you were asking, so I had the uh, the privilege of studying by your father-in-law, Rabbi Kosman, for two years in Neri Yisrael. Neri Yisrael is a very career-driven yeshiva. It's a, a yeshiva that does tend to value career um, more than many of the other yeshivas that I attended. I attended Lake Yeshiva in Lakewood and other yeshivas as well. So I, I was able to see the different uh, balance and, and, and the like. So luckily, music is not really a lucrative career. It really isn't for the vast majority of people. With that in mind, I was advised, luckily, to pursue, you know, I was not going to be learning full time or doing something in Clay Kodesh. I was advised to pursue a degree in finance, a degree in whatever it was that I went to pursue. And with that in mind, I had the Harchavas Adas, I had the Mazel Baruch Hashem that music ended up being something that I was able to pursue full-time, but having that pressure removed from, you know, this career and music has to work, you also let the, you know, hashkacha run its course. You let mazel take its course. You let things that would otherwise be a pressure, you get to remove those from your life a little bit. And just, it, it, it's much easier to be a, a ben Torah, a Jew that's, you know, over Hashem, if you don't have to uh, always make this decision, am I doing this musically? Is it for my career? Am I doing this because I want to, or is this because something that you know I, I was I was born into? Thank you so much. How's COVID nineteen working out with your pranasa? It must be must be must be uh, difficult without the weddings and the concerts, and it must be an extremely difficult time for you. If anything doesn't. Um, 
strengthen, you know, bitachon, it's it's this, um, this. Or, or the opposite. Baruch Hashem, there's been a tremendous need for music during COVID, um, particularly uh, now. This whole room transforms in an hour to a full-on broadcast facility, and we've been working every single night on just, it's different, it's definitely a whole different world, but Baruch Hashem, there's, there's music, is, there's always a desire for it and a need for it now more than ever. Okay. I'm going to address the next question to you, Francisca, because you are the only woman on the panel tonight. You will have clearly a different perspective from everybody else. And after that, I'd like to ask the panelists a related question. How has Kol Isha impacted your ability to actualize your artistic calling, Francisca? As I mentioned in the opening, you are a performer, you're a singer. And yet we also know the Jewish law prohibits a woman from singing in public. Has that been a problem for you? How have you gotten around it? Is it an issue which you dealt with or an issue that you continue to deal with? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll try to include as much as I can in this question. So I'll preempt this by just saying that for children or in the education system, for girls, it's much more encouraged and cultivated the pursuit of arts. On an amateur level, there are school productions and plays that's Beisiakov, that's standard. Between Hasidish, Beisiakov, and modern Orthodox, it's totally okay, encouraged, and music lessons is a total part of a Jewish girl's upbringing, if that's her interest, obviously. Clearly, that's different on the men's side. However, if you want to continue professionally, there are a lot of limitations that men do not have, it includes Kalisha, Tznias, and... Personally, I'm more comfortable in the studio area, which is composing and production. So for me, obviously, you have the challenge of my market being half of the Jewish population, just the women. But as my research it, with my podcast, interviewing Jewish women in the arts and entertainment over the last three years, for women who love performing, and that's the end goal, having that limitation is huge. And given the opportunity, they would rock a concert or a wedding and they don't have these opportunities. I think that encompasses everything. In that case, let me take that question and offer it to the panel. I'm going to throw this out to anyone who'd like to answer it. I guess jump in. If your daughter has a beautiful voice, what would you tell her? What, what would you advise her to do given the laws of Kolisha in the Jewish tradition? Would anyone like to offer an opinion about this? I think I will let her do what she wants to do. If she wants to do, if she wants to think, why not? Okay. I think it's then important I, I, to uh, manage expectations. I think the most important thing is for a girl who is growing up in an environment that will not allow, you know, whatever that means, uh, live performances beyond the accepted what, what we see today. You know, actually today there's a huge um, live event with women singing only. Um, I had the opportunity to work a little bit behind the scenes on this project. Um, and at one point, we were going to introduce um, a segment that was female singers and their spouses singing together. Ultimately, it was decided by the rabbinic panel to not do that. Um, but a girl that, that has the uh, musical you know, itch and she wants to pursue it, as long as they know, you know th there won't be a resentment if they know going in exactly where the extent of their musical you know, career will be. And there's, there's some incredible, incredible talent um, and venues to, to pursue it. 
full disclosure that if anyone would like more information about Koalisha in general, there is an episode of The Francisca Show on which I, as a guest, along with my co-host on a different podcast, her name is Tali Rosenbaum, we have a podcast called Intimate Judaism, where Francisca interviewed us about Koalisha, both in terms of halacha as well as how it affects people in a larger sense. So that's certainly something which um, people can look up if they're interested in that further. Francisca, why don't you take the next question? Thank you. So we have many examples in Tanakh, in Jewish history, of artists, a true artists, David Amelach, Betzal. And my question to you is, can Betzal be a model for religious artists, or is that just lip service? A.B., we'll start with you. I think so. I mean, the, 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 I mean, the Torah obviously said HaKadosh Baruch who chose him and gave him a talent and gave him a special Ruach, Ruach Hashem. He gave him a special spirit of of expansiveness in his mind to be this wonderful artist. I certainly think it, it it is an inspiration for anyone who has that talent. Like Moshe was saying before, he has a talent inside his heart, inside his mind that is bursting to come out and uh, very often it needs to come out. We know again, in terms of music, we know that without music, uh, we, we have the story in the Navi of Elisha who could not reach a state of Navua until they brought the musician to come and play. It creates a simcha, it creates a certain happiness, it creates a certain closeness to Hashem, like Simcha said before. The Shari Nagina are, are elevated spiritual entities that, I mean, I, I, I say the words, I don't know if I really understand what I'm saying, but, you know, when we talk about Sha'arim and, and Shabayim and things like that, but I do know that uh, very often, uh, I'll say the words uh, of a pasuk, and it doesn't really inspire me or affect me or move me. But then I'll sing those same words, or in shul we'll sing those same words, and all of a sudden they have meaning and, and it reach, reach, reaches the depths of your soul. So there's no question that it is a, a method of avodas Hashem, whether it's through uh, the artistry in, 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 in fine arts or whether it's music these are these are blessings that Akkadish Baruch gave to the world it's a part of Torah these are beautiful things and 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 artistic talent should certainly not be suppressed if a, if a, a son a daughter has that talent thank God I have uh, I have some daughters who are who, who put, put me to shame with their talent they write songs and they write lyrics and uh, hopefully one day these, these songs will be produced and released I can't begin to imagine the, the Nisoyen of, of women in general. Forget about just Kolisha. That's one of the many challenges they have. I mean, with Neos and with the burdens that they have in general in terms of how much work they have. And, and, and it's a very big challenge. But everyone who has a talent should pursue it and should explore it and to the best of their ability, uh, use it if they can. About, you know, if you have a daughter who sings so... Uh, we're actually fortunate. Both of our daughters are extremely musical, and especially our younger daughter. She is so musical, especially singing. She loves to sing, and um, we do what we turn over every stone to try to give her an opportunity that's healthy, and that she will feel accomplished, and that she is accomplishing in obviously a matter that's permissible you know with, within halacha but like i just think that like that again i just i feel like that that that, that should be a given in cloud Yisrael. It should be a given to give people the license and the encouragement to use their talents and skills in a healthy manner 
when it's mm-hmm. whether a boy or a girl, a man or a woman, etc. I think that should be just. I don't know. I, I think that that should be lechakrila. I'm just uh, sharing that. But I just want to also comment about Batsalo. Um, I just want to make a little, uh, maybe a little ha'ara. You know, it's interesting to me when when we really look at Batsalo. So Batsalo was praised in the Torah, you know, in a very very unique way about his qualities. I think it's a very. I think there can be a very fine line, and I'm not. I'm not trying to assign one term to one manner to Bitzal or not, but I think there's a very fine line between a person who is a master craftsman and where is that line where the person moves over, let's say, to being, being, being considered to be an artist. You know, like, especially here in Eretz for example, people who know how to work with stone, that is a real craft, like real craft. And a person who knows how to weld, there's a big difference between an amateur welder and a really top welder, okay? So that is a big difference between a craftsman who really knows how to manipulate material and an artist. Because to be an artist means you're now bringing, you're not just a master of the material, but you're also introducing the element of, of, of being a navon or navon that you are introducing now your own, so to speak, Ideas, ideas, obviously, that should be dictated, let's say, by Yahadut, by Torah, etc. But I just feel that, you know, that there can be the line between the two, a craftsman and artist, I think that can be sometimes extremely, extremely a fine line. I just, I just wanted to just share that that's something I feel that I see that, you know, a lot. Okay. Uh, when I say I see that a lot, I mean, I observe that a lot. I appreciate you saying that, especially for someone like me who's not an artist. And these are these are distinctions that mean something to you that I wouldn't have noticed on my own. I want to move on to a different kind of question. This is really about education. And in fact, it reflects back on what I talked about at the beginning, about what I was alerted to by my teacher, Rabbi Simkovich. There's a conference that took place by Atid under the direction of Rabbi Chaim Bravender and Rabbi Jeffrey Sachs in November 2003. The conference was entitled Creative Spirituality, Jewish Education, and the Arts. And the transcripts that Rabbi Simkovich provided me were invaluable in helping me understand some of the issues that are at stake in the topics we're discussing today. And art is really a double-edged sword. So on the one hand, as I mentioned, quoting Rav Cook, art can open a person to spiritual possibilities that otherwise might be unreachable. And that's something which our panelists have certainly alluded to and said explicitly today. But on the other hand, the Torah contains very strong language against the idea of perhaps all visual art, perhaps only some visual art. That's something which is actually an argument. And at least in the context of worship, art is, as visual art at least, is something which is strongly discouraged. So I guess I'll ask either Moshe or Chaim, whoever feels comfortable answering this, how about in education? How do we balance this educationally for our kids, for our students, as well as in our lives? How much should art be a component of our education? And in so doing, how do we balance these opposing and, and opposite tendencies? I would say that first and foremost, I think we have to start with understanding the child. I think A.B. A- 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 brought it up. We know that Shlomo Melch said, We know that that's obviously critical. We also know that the rest of that teaching, the rest of that pasuk, obviously includes that, so that the, so they will not stray from that path. And so I think first and foremost we have to look at who's the child, who, what is the, who is the child, what is he interested in, what is she interested in, 
and we have to first take it from there. And then, we, of course, we have to, like I was saying before, like in our personal experience, turning over every stone to find the appropriate venues and educational opportunities for our children. Um, and that's, we know that, that and I emphasize, I emphasize turn over every stone because we know that if you have a, a child who's a Mitzvian, right, that's no Kiddush, right? You can find many yeshivas. That's easy. Right, that's easy, right? When you have a son who's, or, or a daughter that's not such a mitzvah, so to, so to speak, in terms of academics, in terms of the classroom environment, all of a sudden we got to start turning over every stone because unfortunately we don't have a huge number of institutions to choose from. Okay, I don't want to stir up the topic, but the point is though is that critical first and foremost to keep for pers- parents have to have their hand on the, their finger on the pulse of their children all the time. Where are they at? What are they interested in? How can they channel those interests? How can the parents go and seek out appropriate you know, opportunities for them? The connection, basic connection between parent and child. I hear that. Definitely the idea of the parents deciding along with the child what that child needs in the spirit of Chanoch Lenar Alpidarko. Educate each child according to what he needs is a very important point. Should be healthy. Should, be, should always be, should be healthy. Does anybody else have any comments on this in terms of balancing the two aspects of art, the positive and the negative, that appear in Jewish tradition? Are you referring to the to to Los Pesto, meaning in terms of not having sculpture and that kind of thing, in terms of like a, that's a prohibition? An ex- well, maybe that's an example of it. Of course, some people, like the Chavetz Chaim, saw it as a more blanket prohibition, not only in the context of worship, and... I just mean in general, that has led often to a feeling that we should denigrate visual art on some level, that maybe it's not such a Jewish thing. In music as well, I mean, years ago, there is is a chazal that says that we're not supposed to, uh, in Yerushalayim, they don't play music at weddings. They have a drummer who comes in and bangs away and sings, but, uh, you know, because I guess that's where we have the Urban Habayit, so we... We don't want to show too much uh, enthusiasm and too much uh, simcha. But today, certainly today, I don't think that anybody is, is, is I mean, the, the visual arts are, 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 everybody has beautiful paintings in their homes today. And I know, I, if, I'm, if, I don't, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Gemara talks about Reb Gamliel having pictures of the sun and the moon and the stars. He had a, a to show when, when Rosh Chodesh is. And there was controversy about that. The, the, the commentaries ask, how was he able to have that, the, that kind of picture? But today, everybody, I think, is okay, certainly with you know, the two-dimensional art. And, and certainly music today is, is everywhere. And Eretz Yisrael today, I mean, the, the, the outpouring of love for, for the people of Eretz Yisrael, the Haredi community in Eretz Yisrael for music today is incredible. And it, see how, how they go to these concerts and they sit there and, and Yoli Dickman is singing together with them and doing arrangements. It's amazing what's going on in terms of music. And it's an expression of, of closeness to Hashem, which is getting close to Hashem through music. So it's, a, it's such a beautiful thing that we're, we're observing. And Abi, I think you're right. I do think, though, that there is an element of the old feelings about visual art, much more so than music. And as you said correctly, prohibitions 
for both of them appear in our sources, but particularly I think there might be a type of stigma that often comes in the wake of visual art, perhaps because it appears in the Ten Commandments themselves, which may not apply to music, which was a response to Chorban Habayit, a very different sort of thing. And I just wonder if that stigma, even if we don't actually paskin like that, if that's not the halachic ruling that people go by, particularly with two-dimensional art, if it somehow has trickled down to a general denigration of visual arts in a way that may not apply to music. I don't know, but it seems to me it might happen. I'm not the artist. My father is the artist, and my father also is a rabbi. We discuss many times, many, many times people ask him. It's about, about the Zohar, and the Pesel, what does it mean? It's like, like three day, you know? When you make... Like, you make like when you make the part of the person, or you you can do any painting to make three D like like pestle 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 mamish yeah. And also, if you make pestle and you don't have all the pestle, like part of him, he, he loses the part of the I don't know the leg or something of this. It's no pestle. Mm-hmm. The pestle it needs to be pestle mamish. And first, we see I don't remember where in Nevi'im when Hashem asked one of the Nevi'im to make the paint for him, it's Hashem asked one of the Nevi'im to make the painting about the Milchama, Milchamot Hashem. I know the story of Rab Moshe Shapira, Zechono Libracha, and he, he asked me if I have my father make the painting, it's a name, Apikoyres, and he really likes this painting, and he asked me if I can to bring him, it was already sold, but he really want to, to, to take it for the house of him, yes? It's Rabmoy Shapira, it's no, uh, I don't know. I think that all the, the real rivals who is going with the Derech HaTorah, not with the stigma, yeah? They really appreciate art. I, I think the question, it's no question, you know? It's just mistake when people confuse between art and pestle. It's like two different things. It's art, it's a beautiful, like, it's different, art is a different thing, but for, for, for example, my father, what he did, it's a little bit also spiritual. How is Moshe say it's a part of, uh, of, of Avoidus Hashem, yeah? Right. It's I like, 100%. 100%. Like, we have also, I think, I think it's very healthy, very good. And I think the question is no question. There was a time, if we all remember, when, when, when a photographer would come into a, a wedding hall and you'd see these big rebbes or rosh yeshivas who would cover their faces. They didn't want their picture taken, and it wasn't because of, of humility. They thought there was. They thought it had something to do with this not having a tzmuna from right. the Torah. But two dimensional, to even two dimensional. Today, that is really no longer an issue. I mean, the the centerfold of the uh, of the Hamodia magazine has every gadol who was anywhere in the world today. We've moved on to more important issues and. Hashem, music is established and accepted, and people realize the value it brings to Kali Yisrael, and the same thing for photography and art, and, and certainly for two-dimensional uh, creativity. Maybe I'll Thank jump you. in here for a second. Um, I, I'm sure you are well aware of the story with um, Eli Cohn. Eli Cohn is a great, one of the greatest Jewish piano players. Um, he lives in Lakewood. Um, he is also one of the foremost translators and transliterators for Art Scroll. M- many of the Schottenstein Talmud Masechtas were actually translated by him. His father is the great Rabbi David Cohen, one of the great poskim of today, um, who his Rebbe was Rabbi Putner. And when they were relatively newly married, Eli Cohen was a, uh, was a young boy 
and Ellie asked for a piano. He asked his father for a piano. Uh, Rabbi David Cohn had a few hundred dollars to his name, and he asked his Rebbe, Rabbi Putner, you know, if he should spend basically his, his entire savings on piano. Not only did Rabbi Putner encourage it, but he followed up later on, and uh, it, Ellie Cohn turned into this, you know, it, it developed his geschmack for everything Yiddishkeit um, in a way that, look, look what he's accomplished. I mean, Rabbi David Cohn, we don't have to uh, talk about his accomplishments, obviously, but his son, Rabbi Cohn, not only became a, a foremost piano player, but also a, a true Talmud Chacham, a real... He would have become the Talmud Chacham had he been denied the piano. Very, very true. Very true. Thank you. Maybe we have time for one or two more questions. I know some of our audience members wanted to ask a question. Maybe you can share in one sentence with us any positive artistic opportunities that arose for you by being in the yeshiva community. I'll give one positive. If you write a song and then you call 20 guys into the room and you sing it for them and see if it works, you have your audience you know, right there in the, in the room. You have your focus group. Yeah, I mean, yeshiva is the is, is the opportunity um, to do whatever you, you are going to do undisturbed. So whether it's learning or developing a craft. I mean, I think most um, in, in the college world, they say that's a, what did you do in college? You learned whatever you wanted to learn and you learned guitar, how to play guitar. You know, it's the same concept. It's it's a, in yeshiva, we, we, we had an opportunity to express ourselves without the judgment of those around us that would have, you know, necess- not necessarily have approved or, or even approved of a different method. And uh, Yeshiva was, I mean, the, the Neri You mean Neri Yisrael, yeah. The Neri Yisrael Amud was my, was my launch pad. I think what Neri Yisrael is a good example. I have many fans from there. It's really amazing Yeshiva. And I think the parents, they need to know who is the person, who is the personality of the person, and they need to send him the right Yeshiva. Many times you see the guys who can't see, they, they don't have the zits, yes? I, I, I don't have my zits. I can't see it long time. And I don't think in yeshiva I, I was grow how I want. or It's impossible. And everyone needs to find the right yeshiva for him. And you have many good yeshiva where, when you can to mix and to learning Torah half a day or two hours a day and to working what you want to do. It's very important to don't think what the community will say. You need to give the person the good place for when he can to grow and feeling comfortable. I think it's very important. Yeah, it's very important. I'd like to open up our panelists to the audience. We have time for one or two quick questions. Hi, first of all, what a great program. Hi, everybody. I'm Penny Storch from Woodmere. This is amazing. I'm a patron of the arts. I'm very involved in an organization called Atara that works with thousands of women, uh, girls and women, for conferences and conferences. And I've worked with um, Francesca. She's amazing. I'm really proud of you. Yay. Um, Brady is the best. She's really great. This is a wonderful program. I just want to say one thing that hasn't been, like, was touched a little bit um, in the program. Art and music and, and visual arts and performing arts has an extraordinarily therapeutic component. There are art therapists and music therapists. Um, My background is I have a master's degree in nursing, and I work in the healthcare field, bringing in artists to patients' rooms, and someone had asked, you know, to like elevate their spirit 
and do a lot of psychological work with them. So all of your music and what you're doing, just so that you know, has such a great component to help heal people and to fight with their immune system and so on. So that's like another angle that's really, really important. And there is a lot of Parnassa and a lot of monetizing in that field. People are paid to do that. Um, just for all of you with COVID, and someone asked a question like, how has COVID affected the industry? So I'm sure all of you know that there's so much music and things on Zoom now. And Yasha Koff to all of you who produce great works and who really elevate people's spirits so much. It's so helpful at this time of isolation and quarantine. So okay. thank you. Thank you, Henny. Thank you very much. But I just want to mention that Toby Klein Greenwald sent a message Regarding what we talked about when it comes to Kol Isha, she said that she wrote an entire paper on it, and anybody who would like to receive it can write to her at Toby, T-O-B-Y, at wholefamily.com. That's Toby at wholefamily.com. So, Toby, thank you for offering that. That's a paper about Kol Isha, and it was actually published in the Orthodox Forum in 2013 as well. Okay? I just wanted to say um, I'm very grateful to the YU Orthodox Forum that the conference took place actually in 2011. And uh, I did a lot of research for that paper and too much to go into now because we have no time, but there are absolutely and definitely Rabbanim, including the Eretz Yisrael, Rabbanim Haridim, who for sure say that a woman's recorded voice is not a problem and I'll be happy to send this to anyone who wants to read it. Thank you very much. Hi, regards from Ramat Beit Shemesh. Um, very interesting conversation. I'm glad I made it. Um, I don't have a question as much as a comment on some of the things that you discussed as far as um, women in the business and encouraging our youth to have their voices heard. I actually disagree um, with some of your opinions regarding encouraging our children to go into the arts because it's good for their self-esteem and it's their voices should be heard and it's you should follow your passions and your dream. I feel like we need to be a little bit more realistic. Um, I've been performing, singing, writing, selling songs and working in music for 20 years now. And the only reason I was able to succeed and keep my head above water as a female singer was because I worked so hard on all of my skills. So talent is wonderful, ambition, motivation, heart and soul. But I feel like something we don't talk about enough is actual skill. So when people write to me, and I get this letters, these letters all the time, my daughter has a great voice, how could you get into music? I almost always discourage people and I tell them, unless you have cash to burn or unless you're mus completely musical, you can play an instrument, you're a great performer, you're a great songwriter, you have supportive parents, um, you know, you have all the tools to record your music without falling into a depression because so few people are hearing it, then it's for you. I just think we have to be more realistic and this way we'll have the most talented of our youth in the music business producing, you know, potentially even greater quality Jewish music, you know, in years to come. Right, just to point out though, as it was that I mentioned before, the concept of managing expectations, you know, that was the, uh, the reason for that. Um, talent and success 
in the music industry do not necessarily go hand in hand. And that is something very, very important to understand. You'll meet some of the most talented artists that just never made it. And then there are people like me that just, we get by, you know what I'm saying? Um, chain, um, just social interaction, mazel, being at the right place at the right time, hashkacha, those are really the things that uh, I think propel an industry. Being talented, being trained, being skillful, you know, I spent six years uh, working in some of, you know, Sean Hopkins University and working with some of the best vocal coaches in the world, but I, agree. I felt like a lot of that didn't actually aid my career as much as, you know, hashkacha, as much as... One hundred percent. Yeah. I agree with I agree with what Khanna said, it, it, but I don't think the discussion we had up until now was talking about having people pursue their artistic talent professionally or for for Parnas necessarily. I mean, a family that has no aspirations to record any 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 albums for the public, but where the where the where the, the son plays piano and the daughter plays guitar and the mother plays the clarinet and the father plays the violin, it's the most beautiful thing. So have your children and have a family with music or, or pursue your artistic talents and have them hanging in your own home is still a beautiful thing. And it gives a, gives the child and a person a, a great joy. But it's true what Hannah says. It's, it, 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 telling your child that you're going to become the next uh, simple liner who can sing, uh, you know, yeah. for hours on end at a, at a chasana, it, that may not be the case. And it's true that parents have to be very careful how they uh, guide their children for, for, for Parnassa purposes in general. So I think we could close with this. It's definitely important to differentiate between, you know, encouraging and being a supportive community, parents, education, administration, understanding the value of children need to pursue their artistic calling versus creating a new career where we're training instead of we're producing a bunch of singers and artists. This is not necessarily the professional development that we're trying to bring more of or bring awareness into the Haredi and Yeshiva community, but more the artistic side of children needing to express themselves and that how that can compromise their spiritual connection with Hashem, with God, uh, because neglecting your need for expression can definitely interfere with religious expression and observance. Thank you to our panelists. So, Scott, I'll give the floor to you. Okay, well, I want to thank all of our panelists. This was a very, very interesting evening. A.B. Rottenberg, Simcha Leiner, Moshe Braun, Chaim Eichenstadt. It was an honor having you all on. I certainly learned a lot. I'm sure everyone listening and watching learned a lot as well. I also want to give a special thank you to Francisca, who was the person who had the idea of this panel. I was brought on board because of her chesed, her kindness, not because I had that much to offer. She really is the voice of Jewish arts and entertainment. Thank you, Francisca, for including me, because this is something which I probably would never have done if not for your insistence. So thank you. And please, everyone, remember to check this out. It's available on Facebook. And also, we're going to be making it as a co-production of The Francisca Show and The Orthodox Conundrum. So you'll be able to see it or listen to it on both of those platforms, which are part of jewishcoffeehouse.com. So once again, thank you, everybody, for listening. And everyone, have a good day and stay healthy. Thanks for joining me. Please visit the Jewish Coffee House website at jewishcoffeehouse.com, which has been updated and looks better than ever. You'll find some terrific podcasts there, along with my blog, and the opportunity to support Jewish Coffee House on Patreon, where you can get bonus podcasts like Ask the Rabbis, merch, and more. Follow me on Twitter. My handle is at JewishCoffeeH, and like the Jewish Coffee House Facebook page. See you next time. I'm Scott Kahn on the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. <laughs>